of the 53rd chapter, Isaiah 53. We'll begin reading in this great redemptive chapter. Verse 1 says, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now as we go through these scriptures, you realize this is our fifth lesson on this particular chapter this week. And really to get the most out of today, it would have helped you if you'd have heard the previous lessons. But those of you that have been with us, what did we learn? To whom is the arm of the Lord or the power of God revealed? Those that believe the report. Praise God. Can you tell if anybody believes the report or not? Yeah, if somebody is depressed and fearful and down and you share with them the good report and they stay depressed and down, what do we know? They didn't believe the report. But when you hear the good news, glory to God, He took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and carried your pains and with long life He'll satisfy you. He'll supply all your needs. Amen. He'll give you fullness of joy. I don't care how bad it feels or how bad it looks. That has to put a smile on your face if you believe it. And even in the midst of the worst situation, you can rejoice, not because of the way you feel, but because you know if the report's true, your situation has got to change. It's got to change. It's got to change. And that can give you joy in the midst of the worst of situations. So to whom is the arm of the Lord, the power of God, the anointing of God revealed and made manifest? Those that believe the report. And would you say with me, I believe the report. Hallelujah. I do. You're a believer, aren't you? Well, believers believe. Right? Verse 2, For he shall grow up before him, and we know this is talking about Jesus. We've already given different scriptures that prove that. Isaiah is seeing into the realm of the Spirit hundreds of years into the future and is seeing Jesus taking our place, being our substitute. He says, as a root out of dry ground, he has no form to come in this. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. We said to you that he died the, the, the worst kind of death, the death of the worst kind of criminal, perhaps I should say. To, today, it would be like dying in the electric chair or dying in the gas chamber. That's the kind of death that death of the, on the cross was. And the kind of scourging, the kind of death, and the kind of thing that he endured and experienced was that that only the worst criminals experienced. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now we said that this word sorrows and grief that you'll also find in verse 4 and you'll also find in verse 10 the word grief, that that Hebrew word is in other places in the same King James Bible translated pains instead of sorrow and sickness or disease instead of grief. And if you skip on down to verse 4 where it says, Surely He has borne our griefs. That's the word for sicknesses. Surely He's borne our sicknesses. And He's carried our sorrows. That's the word for pains. And so, as we said, this is one of the greatest statements in the Word of God relative to our redemptive right of healing is this, Surely He has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Let me read this to you from another couple of translations. We've read it previously, but it won't hurt you to hear it again, will it? From these very literal and highly respected 
other translations of the Word of God. Listen to Young's. It says, He is despised and left of men. He's a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. Verse 4 says, Surely our sicknesses He has borne, and our pains He has carried them, and we have esteemed Him plagued, smitten of God, and afflicted. Another translation says, But only our diseases did He bear Himself, and our pains He carried. Another one says, It was our pains He bore, and our sorrows that He carried. The JPS translation says, Surely our diseases He did bear, and our pains He carried. Praise God. Well, I mean, we could go on, but how many understand that what this is saying? And of course, you, don't, you wouldn't have to know Hebrew. You wouldn't have to read any commentaries. Just read Matthew, the 8th chapter. And Matthew, inspired by the Holy Ghost, said over there in verse 16 and 17 that Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying himself, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Well, if the Holy Ghost said that that's what the Holy Ghost said, then that's what the Holy Ghost said. Is that right? Surely He has borne our sicknesses and carried our Pains. I want you to say that out loud with me again. At least three or four or five times. Let's take some medicine today, alright? Say it out loud. Surely He has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Close your eyes and say it. Surely He has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Surely he has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Again, surely He has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. One more time. Surely He has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Hallelujah. Now we talked about what is the purpose of Him bearing and carrying our sicknesses and pains and what's the result of Him bearing and carrying our sickness and pains. If He bore it, we don't have to bear it. If He carried it, we don't have to carry it. We said, you know, that you'll hear this terminology, so and so is a carrier of certain disease or a carrier of this virus or a carrier of this disease. Well, we ought not be carriers of disease because Jesus carried our disease and our pains. Can you say amen? amen? One of the greatest statements, one of the greatest confessions you could make is right here. Surely, He bore my sicknesses. He carried my pains. And because He bore them and carried them, I don't have to bear them and carry them. And you might say, yeah, but Brother Keith, I've got sickness in my body. It's here. I mean, I'm already carrying it. No, it may be in your body, but you don't have to accept it in your heart. I said, you don't have to accept it in your heart. In your heart, you can take the stance and say, I don't care what I feel. I don't care what I say. I refuse to accept this in my heart. I refuse. I resist this in the name of Jesus. And the Bible said if you'd resist the enemy, he'd have to flee from you. Is that right? Have to flee. Now, if you read on down, we see he continues in the description of Jesus being our substitute. 
Verse 6. Well, let me read verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. Well, for none of his own, you see. He was bruised for our iniquities. He had no iniquities of his own. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, or the margin says, bruise, we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Is that true? We've all uh, sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all missed it. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Now he certainly was, wasn't he? He was mocked. He was spit on. He was slapped. He was scourged. He was crucified. Notice what it said though. Yet, though all this happened to him, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Now he said that you could see, you know, if you'd have been there, we weren't there, but those that were there that were watching these things happen, they could see those soldiers scourge him. They could see them lay him down on the cross and, and nail him to the tree. They could see the physical anguish and torment, but what they couldn't see was what was happening in the spirit. And verse 10 here tells us, read that again. Verse 10 tells us that yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now see, it says, by his bruise were healed. But now those soldiers put stripes and bruises on him physically. But here it says it pleased who? The Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. And again, that's the same word for sickness. Listen to some other translations of that verse. The Young's translation says, Jehovah has delighted to bruise him. He has made him sick. The JPS says, Yet it pleased the Lord to crush him by disease. The Rotherham's translation says, He has laid on him sickness. Now that's not something the soldiers did. That's something God did in judgment on the Master. And He said it pleased Him to do it. Now how in the world could it please the Father to smite the Master and to strike the Master with the spiritual source and cause of all sickness and disease and put Him to sickness? Only one way, he could see him raising from the dead triumphant over it. He could see the redemption it would make available to us and the healing and deliverance it would make available to us and the freedom it would afford us. The Bible said that's how Jesus endured the cross and suffered the shame, despised it, but he suffered it. Why? For the joy that was set before him. He could endure it because he could see what it would mean for you and what it would mean for me. Don't you love him? Don't you thank him? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And the Bible said that as all of that happened, He opened not His mouth. Now, why, what did we discover? Why did He not open His mouth? So we could open ours. Yes. We see the example of Paul over in Acts 22. They were about to scourge him. And just about before they beat him, he turned around and he said, Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it lawful? For you to scourge a Roman, see a citizen, uncondemned. And man, they backed off from him. And they untied him and said, sorry, you know, we, we didn't know. So he didn't get scourged. Why? Because he was silent? No, he opened his mouth. 
You see, Jesus could have appealed to justice at any time during the scourging, the trial, the crucifixion. He could have cried out to the Father, to the throne on high, and said, I appeal to you, Father. I appeal to justice. I have committed no sin. I have done no wrong. I deserve no scourging, no punishment, no judgment. And legions of angels would have been there to deliver. Don't you remember him telling Peter, I could call right, right now on the Father. He'd send me legions of angels. But if he'd opened his mouth, we wouldn't be redeemed right now. But friend, I'm telling you, even though Jesus has taken the scourging, he's taken the beating, he's taken the whipping, the spiritual whipping, he's taken the, the, the source of all sickness and disease and the curse of, of judgment for sin, even at that, still, if you will be silent, the enemy will beat you. He will crush you, he will beat you, he will oppress you. If you just keep your mouth shut and take it, he will destroy you. But I'm telling you, when the enemy tries to attach something to you, you don't need to let it take you three seconds. You speak up like Paul and said, Hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I challenge your right. I cha- Do you have a legal right? Is it lawful for you to do this with a child of God that's righteous and uncondemned? Now I want to say something. We studied about the high court of heaven. You remember that? We studied about the, the effect of condemnation. And I want you to understand that the devil only has a right to work the curse in the lives of the condemned. He does not have a legal right to work the curse in the lives of the righteous. Now this is very significant, friend. I want you to get a hold of this. The devil only has a right... To work the, he has a legal right now to work the curse in the lives of the condemned, of the guilty, of the unrighteous. But he does not have a legal right to work in the lives, to work the curse in the lives of the righteous, of the innocent. Now remember, we studied how that we overcome the accuser of the brethren. How do we overcome him? By the blood of the Lamb. And the word of our testimony. We said that the enemy is always trying to build a case against us. And anything you say can and will be used against you in the high court of heaven. And if you, if you plead guilty and you plead condemned and you plead unjust and unrighteous, then the Father has no option but to pronounce you guilty and pass sentence, which means that you get judged because you don't judge yourself correctly. You get judged, and when you get judged, you're turned over into the hands of the enemy. And that's a bad place to be. But how can you keep from getting judged? Judge yourself. Now, to judge yourself means a couple of things. For one thing, judge yourself, of course, means that when you've missed it, you judge yourself and you repent. I think that's usually what people think of. There's another side. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But judge yourself. How many remember 1 John 1, 9? <laughs> I thought it's probably really familiar to, to most of you. Is that right? But what does it say? If we will confess our sin. Let's just stop right there. What does that mean to confess? It means acknowledge and confess I did this. It's a sin. Did you hear me? Admit that what you did was wrong and admit that you did it. Now, now you need to be particular about this. When you're confessing something, don't make excuses. 
Or else why you're not doing First John 1 9. Well, you know, so-and-so didn't help me, and so it's not really my fault. And this, No, no. See, so you're, you're not doing First John 1 9. What did he say? Confess your sin. If you, if you missed it, confess it. Call it sin and admit that you did it. And don't make any excuses. Judge yourself. Now, listen how I'm saying this. You judge yourself guilty. Initially. And you say, Father, I did it. I'm guilty. I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. Now, what did he say he would do if you did that? He will forgive you. And He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, if He's forgiven you and He's cleansed you, and like He said, your sins He won't remember against you anymore. At one place in the Bible it says He said it won't mention, He won't mention them to you. Well, if that's so, then now you are righteous. Is that right? Your righteousness has been restored. So now you must, you should judge yourself righteous. Judge yourself innocent. Judge yourself not guilty. Now, as we've already talked about, condemnation will destroy your faith. We talked about that yesterday. Condemnation will keep you from receiving what you should receive. But being conscious of being righteous before God will make you bold. It'll make you bold. I want you to uh, turn with me, if you would, to the fifth chapter of Romans and to the third chapter of Ephesians. Let's find these two places in the New Testament, if you would. I should have had you keep your place back there in Isaiah. If you, you hadn't already lost it, we'll find it later. But go with me to Romans 5. And Ephesians 3. You might say, well, how do you hold all these places? You say, well, see, that's, that's what it means to get into the Word. So you got a finger here and a finger here. You're getting into it now. Is that right? Romans 5. How many know, understand that all the Word complements other parts of the Word? It all intermeshes together. I want you to really open your heart and believe God with me this afternoon now because if you get a hold of some of the things that i got on my heart to share with you, it will absolutely set you free. You know, the Bible said over in John 8, it said, He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. One translation says, He whom the Son sets free is unquestionably free. Glory. <laughs> free. You know, I'm freer today than I was five years ago. Much freer than I was ten years ago. But I'm not as free as I'm going to be. That's right. I was, uh, I don't know, well, it's been a couple of years or so ago, I was in another state having a meeting. And over about the third or fourth night of the meeting, we came back into the pastor study, myself and the pastor and my wife and different ones. And we were sitting back there. Just sit there for a few minutes in the glory of God. Just tremendous time in the Lord. And uh, the pastor spoke up. He said, you know, he said, I thought I was free before we had this meeting. He said, but oh, I'm freer now. And you know, you should know the truth. And the truth will make you free. 
Well, do you know all the truth there is to know? Then you're not as free as you can be. Is that right? Let's believe God for truth to come forth. Amen. And the more truth we see, the more free we'll be. And he whom the Son sets free is unquestionably free. Glory to God. How many when the Lord sets you free, you don't have to ask somebody, am I free? Is that right? I mean, you, you know it. You know it. You know it. Now notice in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith. Let's just start right there. I don't know if you understand it or not, but the word justified is oftentimes the same word translated righteous or made righteous. So often you use the words interchangeably. You could say it like this. Therefore, being made righteous or being justified. Didn't you understand justified and condemned? These are legal terms like we talked about previously. If a person's condemned, what are they? They're guilty. They're found guilty. What if you're justified or you're acquitted? What does that mean? Innocent. Which means another, an old English word for innocent is righteous. If you're not guilty, you're righteous. Or just take the, take the us off, the e-us, and just have the word right. If somebody, if, you, if you're acquitted, then you're right in the court's sight. Is that right? You're innocent. You're not guilty. If you're condemned, well, you're found guilty. Not right. Therefore, being made right, being justified, being made righteous by faith. How are we made righteous? By our good works? No, no. By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access. Everybody say access. Access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We're justified, we're made righteous. And what kind of condition does that put us in? Because of that, we have access by faith into grace. How many know that everything you need is in the grace of God? Healing is, in, is by the grace of God. Deliverance is by the grace of God. Wisdom, direction, everything you need is summed up in that big word, the grace of God. I mean, God gives you grace, He gives you whatever you need. Go with me to Ephesians now. Ephesians, the third chapter. Ephesians chapter 3. And notice this. He's talking about how Jesus has become everything for us and done everything for us. And it says in verse 11, according, this is 3.11 of Ephesians, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Notice this word access again. I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this. Is it true that the Lord Jesus Christ has bought and paid for our healing? That healing is ours? It's bought and paid for? Is it true that financial provision and material prosperity is ours? That peace of heart and mind is ours? That daily direction and daily victory is ours? 
already bought, already paid for in Christ? Is it true that the wisdom of the mind of God is made available to us in the mind of Christ? If that's true, then why are so many people sick, poor, confused, bound, oppressed Christians I'm talking about now? If it's true that He's bought all this for us, that it's all belongs to us, has been given to us, why are there so many Christians doing without these things? It's because what's been provided by God's grace must be accessed. It's there, but you've got to access it. I said you've got to access it. Notice what he said. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. You access it by faith. You access it with boldness and confidence. It's yours. But just because it's yours is no guarantee you'll ever enjoy it. Y'all are quiet. I want you to understand, friend, healing is yours. Prosperity is yours. Peace is yours. Blessing is yours. Victory is yours. Jesus bought it. He paid for it. It's yours. I mean, there's no need to try and beg God and try to get Him to get your healing. He's already got it. It's paid for. It's done. I mean, know the language of the Scripture. We're studying this passage now. Uh, Isaiah said, with his bruise you are healed. But what did Peter say looking back to the cross? 1 Peter 2.24 By his stripes ye were healed. What does the Scripture say right here in Ephesians? Uh, we, we looked at the third chapter, but you could back up to the first chapter. Notice it. In the first chapter, what did he say? This third verse here. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's someday going to bless us. No, no. Who hath, hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Hath blessed. Let's just keep reading. In verse 4, according as He hath chosen us in Him. Verse 5, having predestinated us to the adoption of children. Verse 6, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, wherein He hath abounded toward us. Look at the language of the New Testament, friend. Look at the, if you study the prayers in the New Testament, Paul again and again does not pray, Oh, Father, that you would bless the, the Corinthians. Oh, God, please do something for the Ephesians. Oh, God, please do something for the Colossians. No, no, what does he pray? Keep reading right here. In this first chapter, the verse uh, 16, he said, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What's he praying? What are you praying, Paul? I'm praying that God, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you might know what's the hope of His calling. That you might know and find out what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the same. That you might know what's the exceeding greatness of His power in us who believe. That you would find out what God has already done for you. Hallelujah! That you would discover what's already been bought, what's already been paid for. 
You remember that the Israelites, that first generation that came out of Egypt, the Bible says what happened to them happened as in samples or types for us. And don't you remember that God had given them the promised land? But that first generation didn't enjoy it, did they? Because see, though God gives by His grace, you still have to possess with your faith. And if you don't possess what He's given, then even though He's given it to you, even though it's yours, you never enjoy it. That first generation of Israelites wandered around out there in the wilderness year after year, dry, uh, you know, they didn't have the blessings that were in Canaan's land. They didn't enjoy all those good things. Just a few miles away, there's Canaan's land. Vineyards, orchards, houses. They could have been living nice. What kept them out? Was it because God hadn't given it to them yet? No. He said, I have given you the land. He said, I have given it to you. Now go up and possess it. And he said, and everywhere that the sole of your foot treads upon, that will be yours. Because I've already given it to you. It's yours. Now go get it. Oh, glory to God. What keeps people out then? Well, you access it by boldness. You access it by faith. And I want you to understand, though, that a great key to faith is righteousness consciousness. If your heart is condemning you, if you have a sense of guilt and shame and inferiority, your faith's not going to work. It'll just paralyze the hand of faith. I want to say some things to you, some statements here for you to think about. If it were not for condemnation, you'd have faith. And if you had faith, you'd have your healing. If you had faith, you could boldly access it and take it. Do you understand that condemnation causes you to draw back and fear? Whereas righteousness consciousness will cause you to be bold to draw near. Go back with me if you would to the fifth chapter of Luke and study this. Luke chapter 5. I want you to see something here that's very enlightening. Now I said, if, if we have all these things that are already bought and paid for, why aren't Christians enjoying more of them? Well, you have to access it by faith. But so many times, that's just where people stop though. You understand? Well, you, you have to have faith. Yeah, but a lot of times, people who have heard the Word still are faithless. Oh, they've been in everybody in their brother's seminar. They played everybody in their sister's tape series and, and book and read their books. You understand what I'm saying? And they still are faithless. I said they're faithless. They don't have boldness. To come to the throne of God and get what they need. They don't have boldness to access the provisions of Christ. Why? Condemnation. They have a sense of guilt about them. And that guilt paralyzes their faith. I said sin consciousness or condemnation will cause you to draw back and fear. 
Because think about it now. Think about it. If you feel guilty, then you feel that you deserve punishment. Is that right? And if you feel that you deserve punishment, then you're fearful and dreading what you, what you believe is coming to you. Because you're guilty. But if you're righteous, you have no fear of punishment because you know you deserve no punishment. Is that right? I remember as a boy going to school, I usually did pretty good. You know, I made good grades. Once in a while, I'd break the rules, though. But sometimes a principal would speak over the intercom and call names to come to the office. Now, if he called my name and I knew I hadn't been doing anything wrong, I had confidence. Because I, 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 I know what he's wanting. I know what happened with these boys. But I was nowhere around them. I have witnesses as to where I was at. I'm innocent. I'm righteous. I deserve no punishment. You understand? So man, I could go right down to the... You know, of course, you didn't enjoy going, but you go down to the office and you can stand there and you know, you're, you, you, you know you're innocent. So you have, a, you have at least a modicum of boldness about you because you know, hey, I'm innocent. But there were a few times when he called my name and I knew, uh-oh, because I know I'm guilty. You got no confidence when you're guilty. Is that right? You know. You, ju- all, you just dread the, the punishment. Because you know you got it coming. Is that right? So can you see how that even though healing's ours, re- deliverance is ours, prosperity is ours, if your heart's condemning you, you won't be bold to appropriate it. And to lay hold of it and take it to yourself. Even though it's yours, your heart will condemn you. And you'll pull back even from what's yours. You'll be, instead of expecting the healing, you're expecting punishment. Instead of expecting victory and things to get better, you're, you're dreading tomorrow. Because you're guilty. You're expecting punishment. But again, you know what we're talking about? By His stripes... He took the punishment. Is that right? By His stripes, we are what? We're healed. Read here in Luke 5. Notice this. In Luke 5, back up to the... Let's see, we'll begin reading in verse 4. I tell you, let's back up to verse 1 and get the rest of this. I have to watch doing that because if I'm not careful, I wind up in Genesis because it's all good. (laughs) Verse 1, it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, Jesus that is, and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them, they were washing their nets, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. 
And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they, were, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. Now let's just stop and think about this. Peter has just experienced one of the best days, maybe the best day of his life thus far. Is that right? Don't you think? I mean, here he has, uh, he, he met Jesus. And he has heard Jesus preach and teach the word that had to be a thrill to his soul and a blessing to him. How many know Jesus is not a bum? Is that right? If you do so, I want you to understand this now. And man, I could really get off on this, but I'll try to refrain myself. Uh, if you do something for the Lord, he never forgets it. I mean, the Lord doesn't need a ride. The Lord doesn't need a loan. The Lord doesn't need money. The Lord doesn't need clothes. You understand? But His people do. And anything that you do for His people personally, anything that you do for His work, for His church, inasmuch as you've done it under the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. The Lord never forgets it. And I guarantee you, it's coming back to you. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. But the Lord will never forget it. And it will come back to you. It will come back to you. Multiply. And so, when, when the Lord finished, of course, He's used their boat, you know, to speak from. When He finished, He looked at them, He said, uh, and see, this, to me, this is so natural, you know, I, I need to do something for you fellows, let me use your boat and everything. Launch out into the deep. They said, well, you know, Lord, we finished all night. And now's not the best time. And it, but Peter said, but, you know, I guess he probably was impressed from the teaching and preaching previously, don't you think? He, he probably said, hey, you want us to go out, we'll go out. So they went out, threw out the nets, and I mean no longer had they thrown them out than they filled up with fish, and they pulling all in, so many fish, the boat's sinking, they had to beckon to their partners, hey, come get these fish. And you understand, these are this is money. This is money. They're professional commercial fishermen, you see, and this is money. This is a big catch, so it's a lot of money. And you would think that Peter would be so thrilled and overjoyed and just want to run and hug Jesus' neck and say, Thank you, thank you. I want to stay with you the forever. This is the best day of my life. I mean, the words that come out of your mouth, the blessings that come from obeying you, let's do it some more. But instead, what did he say? He cowered back in the back of the book, drew away from him, pulled back from him. And said, go away from me. Go away from me. Why, why did he say that? Because I'm a sinful man. See what condemnation will do to you? Condemnation will make you pull back from the very one that can help you. Pull away from the one that's got your answer. Pull away from the provision of your need. How many remember that in the beginning, Adam and Eve knew no condemnation? God had come down in the cool of the day. And man, they just, they just came right up to him. Hey, Father, good to see you. 
walk and talk in the garden in the cool of the day, ask him a thousand and one questions, and he answered them. But as soon as they sinned, what happened? When he came to fellowship with them, like he always did, they ran away. They hid. They were scared. See what condemnation does to you? Can you see why the enemy so works on you and I to get us into sin? Why? Because he wants us in condemnation. Because he knows if he can get us in condemnation and keep us in condemnation, he can destroy our faith. He can rob us of our boldness. He can rob us of our confidence. And no matter what's been provided for us, if we don't have enough faith and confidence to take it, we'll not enjoy it. We'll not experience it. No matter how much authority we have in the name of Jesus over the devil, if we're in condemnation and don't have any boldness to exercise authority of that name, the enemy will rule over us, even though we legally have authority over him. You understand, the enemy rules over condemned individuals. But glory to God, Proverbs says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Hallelujah. Now you can tell, now I don't know if you understand this or not, but you can tell people who have confidence toward God by their confidence toward people. You say, how do you figure that? Well, you think about this. If a man, if you, if I, a woman, whoever can stand before the throne of God, unashamed, unintimidated, without fear of, uh, without sense of guilt, then you can sure stand before another human being. You can sure stand before the devil. Because God is greater than all. He's more awesome than anyone. Is that right? And if you can't stand in front of a man or a woman, and you can't stand in front of the enemy, then what does that let us know? You, have, you don't have confidence before God. Think about it. Has Jesus made us righteous? Has He? Yes, He has. We read it yesterday in Hebrews that the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses the conscience so that there's not even any more conscience of sin. And in that condition, we have boldness to enter into the holiest. Hallelujah! Don't you remember that's what he said in Hebrews 4? Let us come boldly, to the not arrogantly, but boldly, to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. When you need something, you ought to be have enough faith and boldness to just walk up and get it. Oh, glory to God. Go with me if you would. You're already in Luke, aren't you? That's a good place for you to be. Hold your place in Luke 5. That puts you to holding about four places now, doesn't it? But you can handle it. I, you, you are word people, I know. Go, go on over in the book of Luke to the 11th chapter. Are you having fun yet? Yeah. Well, if you're not, I don't know when you are. Because, I mean, after all these meetings and sermons and services and moves of the Spirit, you ought, you ought to be enjoying something by now. Have you found Luke 11? 
Look, listen to this. Look at this. Verse 1. It came to pass that as Jesus was praying in a certain place, uh, his disciples said, teach us to pray. And so he taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And so he's talking to them about prayer, isn't he? And in verse 5, notice though, he said, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine and his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, uh, Trouble me not. In other words, don't bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't rise and give you. He said, I say to you, though he will not rise and give you because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I say to you, ask, it will be given you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks, it shall be open. Glory to God. You might say, well, Brother Keith, why did you read this one, though, in line with what you're saying? Because a lot of people don't understand this word, importunity. I know I read it and heard it for years, and I've heard it, I believe, emphasized wrongly for a long time. You know, it pays to look up words once in a while. Doesn't it? I got, I got to look, I looked up this word and did a little bit of study on it one time. And I found out that this word, importunity, literally means uh, shamelessness. Or it also means without modesty. It also means without bashfulness. You look it up and see it means shamelessness, or in other words, without shame, without modesty, and he's, he's talking about in, in a good sense, without bashfulness. And I got to thinking about that. That's exactly what he's talking about. Because he's talking about going to somebody's house at midnight and asking to borrow something. Is that right? Now, now let, me, let me just ask you a question. How many of you would go to your friend's house and ask to borrow something at midnight or one or two o'clock? A lot of you wouldn't. Right? And of course you shouldn't unless you really needed to. Shouldn't just bother people to be bothering them. But at the same time, how many, how many remember what James said? That you have not? Because what? Because you ask not. And now why don't people ask a lot of times? Embarrassed, ashamed, too proud. Is that right? And he said, see, he's teach, they asked him to teach us to pray. And he's still teaching them about prayer, isn't he? And he, he gave them an example. And so, thank God for these examples. He said, he said, don't ask you a question. He said, which of you, if you've got a friend, that somebody comes to you late at night and you need something and you go over to your friend's house at midnight and knock on the door and say, hey, I got a, I got a guest. You know, Aunt Mildred just got here from so, so and so and she's hungry and I don't have a thing in the house and the stores are closed. Would you give me something to eat? Would you give me something for them? He said so many times that person wouldn't get, it, get up and give it to them because, just because they're a friend. 
but they will get up and give it to them just because you had the brass to walk over there in the middle of the night and knock on the door and ask them. They may not be thrilled about it, but just because you went and asked, you'll get it. Importunity. No shame. <laughs> no shame. And friend, we got to get a revelation that concerning the things of God, we got to get past these hang-ups and these inhibitions and all this goofy religious thinking. You got to just walk right up to the throne of God and say, "I'll take some now." Hallelujah! Got to get a hold of it. How many remember the story of the prodigal son? You remember that? You go back over there and read it. We won't take the time. Of course, it's right here in Luke. Just a page or two over. We might as well turn on over, you know. Go to Luke 15. That, that way, in case I want to show you something, it's right there. You know the story. Verse 11 said, A man had two sons. This is 1511. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto... Under who? Them. Them. Not just him, but who? Them. Them meant who? Both sons, the younger son and the older son. Now you know the story. The younger son took his and took off. Now he was brass, but in the wrong direction. Is that right? He said, I want mine now. But he, he took it and, and sinned and blew it. And wound up, you know, like one individual said, he finally wound up, spent all his money, took off his ring and sold that. Then he had to take off his, his, his overcoat and sold that, and took off his jacket and sold that, and took off his shirt and sold that, and took off his undershirt and sold that. And then he came to himself. <laughs> and you know, some people do have to get down and hit the bottom before they ever come to themselves. And realize where they're at and what they've been doing. Don't be that hard-headed yourself now. But anyway, you know how he, he came to himself and he said, my, my father's got all kind of hired hands. They live so much better than I'm living now. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. How I many? It, it took humility to do that, didn't it? I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell him, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but would you just hire me on as one of your hands? And I know I'd be a lot better off at that than I am where I am right now. And so he went back, and you know the story. When the father saw him coming afar off, he ran and met him, hugged him. Is that right? And he started to tell him, you know, I'm so sorry, and I've messed up so bad. And he said, oh, he said, oh, shush, hush, hush. He said, bring me a, a robe. Put on this boy. Get these rags off of him. Uh, get, get me, you know that big diamond ring I got over there in the jewelry box? Go, go get that. Put it on his hand. And, and I want some veal prepared for him now. I want it now. I want things set up. How many know that God would like for us to be in position to bless people like this? But how many know you can't do it unless you've got it? Did you know that Jesus taught us to even have banquets for the poor? Is that right? How many know that if you're going to have a banquet, if you say, we're going to throw a banquet for the poor people in town, uh, call this caterer, call this one and that, how many know you're going to have some bills? You've got to have it 
to be able to do it. Is that right? God wants us in position so we can do things like this. But uh, he's there throwing a party. Music, dancing, feasting. The boy's sitting there with the best clothes and the best jewelry. And the elder son came in, you remember? He's hot, he's sweaty, he's looking forward to a good bath, you know. And he hears music. And he asked one of the servants, he said, what's going on? There's a party going on in the house there, isn't there? Yeah, he said, your baby brother came in earlier this afternoon. <laughs> and what happened to him? Man, he got hot. Oh, he got mad. He's fuming out there. And I guess somebody went in and told the father, you know, he's out there fuming. So the father came out to him. Now, isn't that grace? Isn't that mer- The father, of course, you know, understand, this father is typical and representative of the father God. He came out to him. And boy, the son is hot. This older son. He said, he said, I have always kept your commandments. I've been here. I work for you all the time. And he said, this, and then this your boy, this boy of yours, he goes out, he blows your hard-earned me. I mean, he wastes it with harlots and prostitutes and drunken parties. And now he walks his back in, and you throw him a party, you give him a new suit, you put a diamond ring on his hand, and I've been here with you the whole duration. I've worked your crops. I've tended your flocks. You never did anything for me. You never gave me a kid of the goats that I could have a little party with my friends. You never did anything for me. Oh, he's mad. Now, how many understand that this is so typical of the body of Christ right now today? You know, sometimes God does special things for baby Christians that have missed it. How many of that younger boy, he wasn't believing for a new robe and ring? He was hoping his daddy would hire him back. Is that right? He he didn't get that with his faith. That's just the mercy of God. And sometimes when babies have missed it and they feel like God doesn't love them anymore, God do some special things for them. They didn't believe for it. God just did some special things for them. He can do it if he wants to. He's God. And then sometimes you'll see an older Christian. It makes them mad. They get jealous. They think, I've been, I've been working for the Lord for X amount of years. The Lord never gave me anything like that. I've been confessing for X amount of years. Look, he just walked in here and, you know, I guess it'd be better off I'd sin like they did. I mean, people have got, people got some of those attitudes and jealousies and envies. Younger Christians, older Christians. But now, I want you to listen, read right here, see what the Father said to him, and understand something about righteousness. Verse 31, the Father said to him, Son, you are ever with me. In other words, I know that. I know you're with me. I know you're faithful. I know you're working. I know everything you do. And all that I have, I was planning on giving it to you sometime. What? No, no, no. Remember back previously? He what? He divided unto them. He gave it to him way back there. And he said, don't you know? All I've got is yours. 
Now he, he reminded him and he also reproved him. And this is coming straight from the Father God's heart, I'm telling you. This word here to us today. He's saying, son, what do you mean I never gave you anything? What do you mean I never gave you a, a kid of the goats? Everything I got is yours. I gave my possessions to you when I gave them to him. And there's another little line under that. You big baby you. You don't wait on me to come stick it in your mouth. You want a calf? You know where the barn is. You want a ring? You know where the jewelry box is. You want to have a party? Have a party! So many Christians thinking they're being so humble. But I just want what, you know, whatever the Lord wants to do for me, I'm not going to ask for anything and I'm not going to, well, they just have not because they ask not. If you want something, it's yours. Healing is yours. Prosperity is yours. But you got to have the brass to come get it. Did you hear me? You just got to walk right in the house and go to the closet and say, hey, I want to wear some of these robes here. I wear this one today. You got to walk right over to the jewelry box and say, "Where's that big diamond ring at? I'm gonna, I want to wear that thing." Yeah, yep, yeah, that's it. I'm gonna wear it for a while, okay? Some people think they're being humble, and they're just being ignorant. They think it shows some kind of, uh, uh, you know. Well, I don't know what you'd call it, but but that they, they're uh, that they're not aggressive, let's say. But in the kingdom of God, you got to take what's yours, because the devil will try to keep you from having it. You're not taking it from God; He's already given it to you. But the devil will camp on it and tell you you can't have it, and it's already yours. The devil will lie to you and say, yeah, but you're such a sinner. You've messed up so big and so bad. I mean, you don't deserve it. And try to get you so condemned that you just sit back and say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not worthy of this. And it's no wonder I don't have this because I don't deserve it. But friend, you've got to realize that having been made the righteousness of God in Christ, you have, do you understand? You and I should be as bold and as fearless and as free as Adam and Eve was before the fall? Let me say something greater. You and I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Is that right? That means Christ's own righteousness has become ours since we've accepted it by faith. He took our sin and we got His righteousness. That's the best trade you ever made. Do you understand that you and I, if we really believe this and walk in this, we should be as bold, we should be as fearless, we should be, hallelujah, as confident as Christ was when He walked the earth down here? We should speak to the devil just as confidently as Jesus did. We should pray and we we receive just as boldly as Jesus did. Because His righteousness has become our righteousness by faith. We've been made worthy to receive. We've been made holy. 
We've been made clean and innocent and righteousness and we ought not to have the least bit of hesitation. But just come right up to the Father and boldly receive what we need. Can you say amen? amen? Go back to Luke 5 and I'll finish up with some things here. Friend, you meditate on this and get a hold of this. I'm telling you, it will set you free. You'll come boldly and get what you need. Luke 5, we saw there in an earlier part of Luke 5 where Peter drew back because of his sin consciousness. But remember what we said to you? That righteousness consciousness will cause you to be bold and draw near. Now look at Luke 5. We'll begin reading in verse 16. and We're going to close with these thoughts. Jesus withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. It came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. The power was there. Notice Jesus wasn't, he wasn't prophesying. He wasn't preaching real fast. What was he doing? Teaching. How many know that where the word of the Lord is, there's power? And it doesn't have to be some spectacular thing. I mean, the power is here right now to heal. You know, I don't understand when you, when you preach the word concerning salvation that the power is there to save. Anybody that will come up and act on it and take advantage, they'll be born again. Is that right? When you teach the word of healing, the power is there to heal. When you teach the word of prosperity, the power is there to prosper. When you teach the word of peace, the word, the word power is there to minister peace and strength. The word of deliverance. Whatever you teach and preach of the word of God, if it's really ordained to the Spirit to teach and preach it, then the power is there to affect it. If you'll just access it boldly by faith. Notice. Behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. He's paralyzed. They sought means to bring him in, to lay him before him. But when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up on the housetop. And they led him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Now that's pretty brass, isn't it? You couldn't be too timid and do that, now could you? See, a lot of people would have given up, wouldn't they? They'd have said, well, we tried the front door, couldn't get in. Tried the back door, couldn't get in. All the windows are, are, are shut up, you know. And here's a real lesson to learn. When you've looked down and you've looked in and you've looked out and you've looked all around, you better look up. Is that right? Look up. And they looked up and saw the top of the house. One looked at another and said, You thinking what I'm thinking? He said, Yeah. He said, Those tiles are not too hard to get off. What size hole do we need? Let's see. We can do it, buddy. They looked at Joe, you know, the paralyzed guy, and they said, What about it, Joe? Joe said, Man, let's do it. Let's do it. They got up there. They started ripping the shingles off. Jesus is in the middle teaching and the house is packed out. And a lot of them scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, you see. Professional preachers. And uh, when, uh, when they started tearing the top off of this house, of course you know, pieces of shingle going to fall through and dust and dirt. Of course you get all this dirt falling these preachers' hair, you're going to have some problems, you see. They got to looking around. What is going on? 
I guess they got a hole big enough. One of the guys looked through and kind of grinned. He said, we got it. Come on, come on. And they let him down. And I guess while he's coming down there, he's probably grinning because he's right where he wants to be. He wanted to get where Jesus is at, and he has got where Jesus is at. I know this is, this is importunity, shamelessness. Is that right? It's just not being bashful. It's not being, you know, intimidated and ashamed. And as they let him down, Jesus just stopped. Of course, this would interrupt. I mean, what if somebody came with jackhammers and, and lords? It would interrupt the service, you know. Jesus looked at him and he, 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 the Bible said he saw their faith. Well, how did he see their faith? Their boldness, their persistence, their expectancy. He saw that. And I imagine it was real refreshing because he's been in a room full of stuffiness. <laughs> most of these people are there to find fault with his ministry. You know, all these scriptorians that don't know God. And he got some people that's got some genuine faith. And Jesus loves faith. I bet he thought, all right, all right, we get some, we get some action now. Here's some guys with faith. All right, come on in, come on in here. But then notice what he told him. He saw their faith and he said to the man, man, your sins are forgiven you. I thought the man came to get healed. Well, why is Jesus talking to him about his sins being forgiven? Listen to me carefully now. Healing's been bought and paid for. We know that. But how do you receive it? With your faith. Is that right? But what does condemnation of sin do to your faith? Destroys it. So if you've got any condemnation, you've got to get that taken care of before you have faith to receive your healing. He goes on there. When he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. What do you think happened with that guy on the, on the stretcher there? When he heard those words, man, your sins are forgiven you. What do you think? So a weight rolled off of his chest. And, and, he, and he thought, oh, glory to God, I'm forgiven. I'm clean. I'm, I'm set free. wonder what that did to his faith. Man, his boldness and confidence. If you have no sins held against you, you're innocent, you're righteous, you're free. And the scribes and Pharisees begin to reason. They said, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus perceived their thoughts. He answered and said to them, what reason ye in your hearts? Whether is easier, which one is easier? To say your sins be forgiven you? Or to say, rise up and walk. So he's asking the question. I want to know, you know, you tell me I can't tell a man his sins are forgiven, but all right, which one is easier? Get the man forgiven or get him healed? Which one? Of course, they didn't know. They couldn't help anybody with either one. <laughs> but he said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power or authority upon earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say to you, arise, take up your couch and go to your house. And immediately, he rose up before them. That's bold, isn't it? 
To act on a command like that takes faith. It takes boldness. And that kind of boldness is only possible when you have no condemnation. He took it up and he departed to his own house, glorifying God. I imagine those fellows on the housetop, of course their faces have all been in ever since he's been down, you know. And I mean, they're jumping and shouting on top of the house. And he went out of the door and they all followed him and they're kicking up a dust cloud on the way home. They're holding him saying, I told you, Joe, I told you, man, I told you, we could get you to Jesus, you'd be healed. Now listen, Jesus asked the question, which is easier? Which is easier? Get your sins forgiven? Or to have this miracle of healing and deliverance? Why did he say that? Because the two are connected. There would never have been any sickness and disease on this planet if there had never been any sin. And if a man or a woman has been forgiven, they have every right to be healed. Because sickness and disease is part of the penalty and punishment. It's the curse, remember? Part of the curse of the law for breaking God's laws. The devil has a legal right to work the curse only in the lives of the condemned and the guilty. If a man or woman is clean and washed, the devil has no legal right to continue to work the curse. And he proved to them that the man's sins had been forgiven by healing the man. How many remember James 5 that talks about this? Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed his sins, they'll be forgiven. See, one, one shot. The psalmist said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, in the same breath, in the same verse, who heals all thy diseases. The surest sign that you ought to be healed is that you are forgiven. If you are forgiven, you ought not be sick. If you're righteous, you ought not have the curse working in you. Is that right? And therefore, if you are forgiven, come boldly and take your blessing and take your healing by faith. Come boldly. Resist the enemy boldly and command him to leave you and stop his operations. Challenge his right to work in your body. Just like Paul said, hey, you don't have a right to work the curse in the life of an uncondemned one. I'm righteous. I'm clean. I'm innocent. Not because I've lived perfect, but because I'm washed in the blood. I'm forgiven. Can you say amen? This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.